Good morning and welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Connie. And I'm Danny. And we invite you to come and shelter with us in this season of gratitude and response to the great news that Christ has been raised. Let us worship God. Come on in. And now hear the word of the Lord from the very end of Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. Finally, brothers and sisters, farewell. Put things in order. Listen to my appeal. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson is taken from Matthew's Gospel. It is the very last few verses in Matthew's Gospel, 28, 16 through 20. As Vicki mentioned earlier, with the children, it is what we call the Great Commission. And it is Jesus' last words to the disciples before they are sent out. Listen with fresh ears, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So on this Trinity Sunday... This is one of those scriptures that we look to, and while there's no official formula for the Trinity that scripture gives us as the doctrine of the Trinity, this is one of those clear places that we rely on that informs us that slowly over decades and centuries formed our understanding of the Trinity of God the Creator, Jesus the Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit the Sustainer. And as we see here, Jesus tells them, go, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so when we baptize to this day, we baptize with that threefold formula 
that gets us those three pieces of God, and that's what they really are, separate pieces of God that function in different ways. So before we take a look at the scripture directly, I'd like to share a Robert Frost poem with you. This is one that I remember learning maybe in middle school. It was some of the first poetry that I memorized. Stopping by the woods on a snowy evening. Listen, whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near. Between the woods and frozen lake, the darkness evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. Think about the disciples. We're at the end of Matthew's gospel. They must be exhausted. They must be fatigued. They must be in a place where they are ready to say, ah, enough, Jesus, just give me a break. They have been through three years, these 11 without Judas, of being on the road outside of their home, away from their friends, away from their families in this new life that Jesus has called them to and hard living, people coming after them, Jesus being tough on them for what he wants them to know, to understand, and to do, and how to be. Just understanding Jesus himself, we still wrestle with thousands of years later. Imagine those first 11. They must have been mentally and physically fatigued and overrun. And then Jesus goes into Jerusalem on the donkey. The triumphal entry, Palm Sunday the events of Holy Week, the Last Supper, the betrayal in Gethsemane, Jesus dying on the cross, and all of the horror of that event. That was mental, that was physical, that was spiritual. And then just a few days later, some claim that they have seen him alive. What? How can that be? And the roller coaster goes back up. And for the next series of days and weeks, Jesus appears to them in a variety of ways, in a variety of places. Last week, we celebrated the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit coming down at Pentecost. <coughs> Excuse me. Think about what that chaotic environment would have been like. Mentally, spiritually, fatigued and overwhelmed, and yet still filled with the presence of God, still passionate, still excited, but some still doubt. What? 
How can they be where they are, having seen what Jesus has done, and still doubt? Are you kidding me? Well, we do, and we've got the end of the book. It must, I can't, I can't imagine. And then, after everything, you would think after Jesus is getting ready to go away from them forever in his physical incarnate form, that he would say, you know what? You have earned a little break. Go to the beach, float in the Dead Sea for a while. You see people doing that. Have a fruity drink, relax. Go see your families, recharge for a few weeks, for I am calling you to go out again. But Jesus doesn't let them off the hook. He doesn't say the time is now to rest and recharge. He says, now go. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Let's think about authority for just a quick second. Who do we recognize as having authority in our lives? Well, I think first and foremost, we recognize our own authority. We want to be the people, we are the people in each of our individual lives who is the authority for our lives. It might be people that we work for. If you have a boss in a job, then that boss has some degree of authority over you. If you have friends in a volunteer organization and there is president and vice president and there are different offices and maybe you don't hold one, but you're there to, to serve, well, there's some authority there. We look at news gathering. There is some authority that we give to those who are telling us news stories, the events of the day. There's some authority that we give to politicians because we think that's the best and only way that things will change. And what Christ starts off telling them on the mountaintop, Jesus getting ready to go, the last words, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Who do we give our authority to that does not help the Holy Spirit burning within us? What authorities do we trust more than we trust God? Well, that's for you to work out. But Jesus starts off and tells them, all authority except for what Herod controls is, is mine. I'm taking from the east of the Jordan all the way to the Dead Sea West, a little bit north, a little bit. That is all my land of authority. No, all authority in heaven and on earth. We are being called to stop giving our authority to false idols, to false authorities. And we need to give our hearts, lives, spirits, and souls back to the God, back to the Christ 
who was resurrected from the dead and who seeks to bring us together as his family. All authority on heaven and earth. Keep Christ as the authority in your life. I think often we mistakenly think that Christ is not active, God is not active. We loft our prayers off into the distance and hope that somehow God has a big catcher's mitt and is catching them running around as opposed to the Holy Spirit and God within us who walks with us every day, who seeks to move us, hold us, challenge us, guide us, gift us, heal us, forgive us, inspire us. God is our authority. If we need to rework the things in our lives and hearts, now is the time to do that. No political party is the answer to all of the world's ills. Voting is important. Absolutely, we take it seriously. You need to stand on the convictions of your faith as they are worked through our governmental system. Voting is a big way to do that. But make no mistake, no one president, no one senator, no one member of the House, no one member of the government can change all that we need. And when we only put our faith in voting this one in and that one out or that one out and this one in, we know from decades and centuries of those for whom have led us that they cannot do it on their own, though even they may wish. It is God's Holy Spirit. It is from within our hearts that change will come. The rest will follow. We see it now. We're immersed in it, in the George Floyd murder. We are at a different time in a different place in the life of our nation, even around the world. What will we do? What will we say? Are we standing back, hoping that it will just simmer down and move on? We can just get through some of this first week or so of protests, then things will go back to normal. And we can go about our lives, business as usual. Well, I think what we've seen is that Normal is not acceptable. There are so many for whom life is not normal in the sense that we know it. There are so many that we need to help who need to help us as we join arm in arm to make sure that everybody can experience the full freedom of this country the full freedom of the lives that they have been given through Jesus Christ, the ultimate authority. We've seen the wrong. This has been one of the few times in my life that I've been politically aware that I remember 
media and commentary on the left, media and commentary on the right, all united to say this is wrong. I literally strained for another way, another time of something that would have brought us together again in my life, and and I, I couldn't do it. I've never heard a united presence speak out against the clear, awful injustice of this act. Now, everything after that, we've divided, we've back to our teams, back to our corner, the bell has rung. But still united, I believe, to say that that event is wrong. And if we are united in saying that that action cannot stand, as Christians, as human beings, this is wrong, then we have some work to do together. If you remember last week's Pentecost story, the great giving of the Spirit, something like tongues of flame came down on their heads and they spoke and or heard different languages. All those people gathered around them for languages they didn't speak. And they said, go out into all of those places that we have to read every year at Pentecost, all of those cities, all of those places around the world that were known at that time to these authors. Take it out. And at the end of all of this, all of this weird languages and how can they do this and what am I seeing? Is it fire? Is that, why are they, what, what is happening? There were two camps that Luke tells us in Acts 2, their response. One was those in the crowd who said, oh, they must be drunk. And second, it was the group that said, what does this mean? Which camp are we in in response to where we find ourselves as a result of George Floyd? Are we in that first group that refuses to look at the power of the moment, who refuses to see the Spirit present even in a difficult and confusing situation, not caused by the Spirit, but the presence of the Spirit? That we refuse to see that something going on here can be transforming, that we have an opportunity to seize this time to show people the love of Christ through this awful act. Well, they're drunk, I don't care. Whatever, whatever happened, happened. I'm going back for hummus and pita. Then you have the other group who can't deny that something profound had happened in the giving of the Spirit. And they said, what does this mean? They were seeking, they were asking questions They didn't give up and let themselves off the hook of what they had seen. They were looking for further guidance. They were exploring. They were saying, okay, oh gosh, what? How how do I process all of this and what do I do and what do I think and how do I be and what does this mean? 
My hope, friends, is that we're not in the first group, but in the second. It is so hard on so many levels, all of this. Be nice if we could just return to the COVID days where we just fought about whether or not we wear masks, although we're still in that. But now there are issues of life and death over justice and injustice, how to help oppressed voices claim their voice as given through the Holy Spirit and through the desire and laws of this nation. We have a role in this. I hope we are those that say, what does this mean and how do I respond? I think one day we will all be judged on the actions we take now. Maybe it's generations down the line. If you're a youth now, maybe your kids or grandkids are going to say, you were, you remember that? What happened? What did you do to show people God's love? And we need to be able to have an answer for that. More than that, what if one day we are toe-to-toe, when we are toe-to-toe with Christ, and Christ says, what did you do in that moment with all the gifts I gave you, all the faith I gave you? All of that passion, all of that that was a part of our relationship together. What what did you do to show them my grace and my love? How will we respond? I I don't think either of those would like to hear, well, I, I didn't like the way this message was presented, so I did nothing. I didn't didn't like exactly the way that this happened, so I decided to do nothing. Or I don't agree exactly with this point, so I did nothing. Christ tells them on the mountain. Again, he could have said, go take two weeks off, because then I'm going to send you out. He says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded and I will be with you to the end of the age. Teach all nations, all people, everything which is another all, all that I have taught, and I will be with you always another all. He doesn't say go to some of these people. He doesn't say go to some of these people. He says all nations, which really isn't The translation isn't necessarily nation-state, it's more foreigners and other tribes, people other than themselves, in other words. The gospel is not just for us who read. The gospel is not just for those for whom Jesus walked with. It is for the world, and it is that which unites and can transform us should we allow it. Jesus didn't say on the mountain, pray for the people of all nations that they would somehow learn what I have taught them and tell them I'll be with them. Prayer is powerful and meaningful and we need to be rooted in that, but it is prayer that empowers us to go. The words that Jesus used, don't just pray for the people of all nations, go to them, go and do
So we are being called off of our mountaintops because there are so many who live in the valley and we cannot fully understand the love and grace of Jesus Christ until those disparities, disparages are worked through. Until we can say we are working so that all life is respected and valued. And if all you have been saying is, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, we might just need to sit and pray and listen. Because the yeah, buts paralyze us, keep us from going. The disciples didn't say, yeah, Jesus, I thank you for my commission. It is great. But I, I'm not, I'm going where? To do what? He didn't tell them. All he said was teach and baptize and I'll be with you. Teach. Teaching also implies learning. It is a part of our discipleship response. Teaching and learning and going to where people need to hear and share the gifts that we've been given. Yesterday, we celebrated the 76th year of anniversary of D-Day where the American, British, and Canadian forces landed on that 50-mile beach in Normandy. How thousands and thousands on that day were killed, having to jump off of the vehicles that brought them, the amphibious vehicles, cover some 200 yards, completely open, completely vulnerable, in order to get the foothold that would break the Nazi hold on Western Europe. It was an amazing time that I hope you have a chance to study and remember. It is to be celebrated. Because it was those people and our Axis power standing up to say, no, no. This cannot and will not happen. The Nazis cannot and will not take control with evil and dark power to kill those who are racially different than they are. We will stop that and we will go and give our lives for that. It is worthy of our admiration and thanks. There is one chaplain who wrote a, a letter home from Omaha Beach, talked about his wife's his experience, later published in the Miami Herald in August 1944. It says, when my part of the division landed, there were impressions made on my mind that will never leave it. Just before landing, we could see heavy artillery shells bursting all up and down the beach at the water's edge under well-directed fire. As I stood in line waiting to get off the LCI, that is the landing craft infantry, the vehicles that would bring them, to smaller craft to go into the shore, I was looking toward land and saw a large shell fall right on a landing craft full of soldiers. I had been praying quite a bit through the night as we approached the French coast, but now I began praying more earnestly than ever. 
Danger was everywhere. Death was not far off. I knew that God alone is the maker and preserver of life, authority, who loves to hear and answer prayer. So through this Trinity Sunday that we continue to feel the presence of God's Holy Spirit in our lives, our hearts have been burned, are starting a flame, just like those disciples in Luke 24, the road to Emmaus. Did our hearts not burn while he spoke his words to us? Let our collective Christian Spirit's fire burn as one. What if we can unite and show the world what God's love means at this time? We are not just to pray for the people of all nations, but to go, teach, learn, baptize, and know that Christ is with us from this day forward. The woods, friends, are lovely dark and deep. But just like those first disciples, it is not time to rest. For we have promises that we have to keep and miles to go before we sleep. Hallelujah. Amen.